uh, we want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And you might be thinking, man, we've really been sitting in uh, Acts chapter 2 for a while. And uh, we're getting ready to launch into the next part of this outburst of, of witness and bold uh, ministry. Today's title's message is Ongoing Devotion. Ongoing Devotion. So I'm going to invite you, if you're uh, not already there, go to Acts chapter 2. And we're looking at uh, verse 41. So Peter, follower of Christ, has boldly declared what's happening with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders are happening. They're hearing the testimony of God's great marvelous acts in their own native language. And so he answers their question, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and they'll receive the promised Holy Spirit. It says in verse 41, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Just think about that for a second. Prior to that moment, the church was about 120 strong. 120 but after that day, they grew exponentially from 120 to about 3,000. My goodness, praise God. I could just imagine, you know, in here, we're not even at 120, right? But you just imagine just bursting at the seams. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And so we go to verse 22. It says, now that they have all these people gathered together, part of their number, they devoted themselves, keep that word devoted in the back of your mind, themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as many as had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Look at that at the end again. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I have to say, gut check right here, every day, people were being added to their number. I can't say that every day, out and about, whatever I'm putting my hand to, that people are coming to know Christ. And this isn't a, you know, a slug in the face if you feel like a sucker punch. It's just a, a good reality check of our priorities and our purpose. And it's, and it's an encouraging matter because we know the Holy Spirit's poured out. We're not in this alone. We're going to be empowered to give testimony, to give encouraging words in season. And so today, as I've already said, we're looking at ongoing devotion. Ongoing devotion. When's the last time you opened Webster's Dictionary to look up the word like devotion? Some people actually will open the dictionary just for fun. Hmm, I wonder what new words I can learn today. I have to admit, sometimes I'd, if I don't quite understand a terminology someone uses, I'll go, hey Siri, please define. Right? And so devotion is defined as this. Personal fervor with time and energy dedicated and loyal. Personal fervor with time and energy, dedicated and loyal. Could we not say that that's what the early church was starting upon, what they were founded upon? 
this fervor, this devotion with time and energy, it says that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. There's something wonderful that happens when we devote ourselves, amen, that we experience this enrichment, this enrichment, but not just in our personal walk with Christ, but with one another. Enrichment is defined as this, the action of improving or enhancing the quality of something. So every day that we wake up, the Holy Spirit is improving, is enhancing our relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to be content, my friends, to start well. It's one thing to start. It's entirely another thing to finish. And this is something I'm being encouraged about as I read through the book of Acts. Even last week in the book of Thessalonians, my goodness, there's so much to be done. But we have this empowerment by the Holy Spirit to fulfill all the works, responsibilities, and even freedoms that we have in Jesus. I know the last time uh, you were in school, um, but I can vaguely remember in class one day, and it was math class. Mom, kind of hilarious. Math isn't my strong subject. But there all of a sudden, the teacher came in and said, okay, so-and-so on the list, uh, you're going to come with me today for enrichment. I'm like, oh, what's enrichment? Oh, one of the kids said, oh, they're the special kids that are like really gifted or something. <laughs> they headed off to this enrichment class, and I thought, I want to be part of this enrichment group. How do you do this? Of course, Mom, I didn't have the marks. There was no way I was going for enrichment for mathematics. However, there was once upon a time when it came to history class that I was right in there, and I was really excited about that. But enrichment, I asked Megan the other day, I said, I said, honey, do they still have the enrichment program at school? She looked at me with like that deer in the headlights. Enrichment? Well, I guess they don't do that anymore. Maybe it's a segregation thing. I don't know. But the whole point is enrichment is important. It's, it's not enough to stay and in the holding pattern, if you will, spiritual fervor, devotion to faith is important. So my goal for us this afternoon, if you can remember this, is that when we leave here today, we'll be motivated and devoted, not just in our walk with Christ, but in the mission that he's entrusted to us. So the personal dimension and then the corporate assembly responsibility. So the point for today, I really have one point. It's going to be weaved in with all the points of Scripture we look at is see to it that you live it. See to it that you live it. Here we see Ray at the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day they devote themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They were determined, determined people. And so as we first look, let's, let's look at the teachings aspect. We see here that Peter is one of the followers of Christ. He's declared so boldly what has transpired, but also what had uh, happen with in regards to Christ, the risen Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He lays out the whole story of why he had to die and the whole purpose of what had happened. In the same way, these followers of Christ, they were gathering and, and really devouring these teachings. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. We're meant to devour the word, to meditate. Meditate means to chew on it. 
And so they're meeting together. I mean, they're breaking bread. They're having conversations. We're likely talking about the marvelous acts of God. And as they're devoted in this, the emphasis I want to bring is it wasn't just a personal dimension. It wasn't just a personal dimension because the word they here emphasizes a togetherness, right? Of a group being devoted to this cause. See, there wasn't just um, an individual effort. You know, at times I've heard people say, you know, personal faith doesn't exist. Personal faith doesn't matter. Well, of course it matters because at the end of the day, it says that we believe and are saved by confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart that God raised Christ from the dead. That personal component, that personal dimension is important, but it's not meant to stop there. It's supposed to begin there and overflow into the assembly. That's why we're gathered here today. If it was just a personal dimension, you know, Don, we could just stay home. And you know, some people actually elect to stay home. They say, well, maybe they've been offended by church or what have you. We all have our stories, but we've never been meant to live this in isolation. So here we see the followers are together. They're devoting themselves from the teachings. And one of the teachings is this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. It says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The key word there are true worship and discernment. True worship and discernment. These are, these are the aspects that the, the brothers and sisters in Christ that are long departed devoted themselves to. As they were praying. You could imagine they're praying like many of us do every morning. Lord, help me to not conform to the ways of this world. Help me today to not um, give into subjective believing or theology, whatever you want to call it. But help me to be a light in the darkness. A light at times in this wilderness. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20 for a moment. And we're going to look at this devotion and fervor a little further. So here we see that Paul is in Macedonia, the province of Macedonia, and he's giving a farewell address to the believers in Ephesus, and he spent a long time, a long time in Ephesus. He developed a good relationship with them, declaring that they're saved and redeemed by their faith in Jesus Christ. In him they have the forgiveness of sins and redemption through his blood. And so we're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And it's a little bit of a long read, but that's on purpose. The desire is to allow the words of, of the scripture to wash over us, okay, as we hear them being read here. You know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. 
and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I, am not, because I have not avoided declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves, wow, this is like really intense, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Here's the key. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit to you, to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most overall for his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. You can see here, there's this exchange, this letter of heartfelt devotion and fervor that the apostle Paul is lavishing upon his beloved of Ephesus in this letter. You can almost taste the devotion. You can almost sense it, the fervor, but also this genuine love for Paul and for one another. Look here at the end where they, they were touched so much that they were brought to tears and they embraced Paul and kissed him. You know, what I have to appreciate about the Apostle Paul and everything that he was saying here is that he wasn't interested, and neither should we, in tickling of ears. It's a very common thing in today's landscape. The church so desperately, and I'm doing like a check for myself here, so desperately wants to be popular, so desperately wants to fit in, to be hip, cool, relative, whatever, that we compromise and we even distort. And Paul is saying here, watch out for these people. And so how, we, how can we be on guard? How can we be like watchmen and women to be on the lookout for these teachings? We devote ourselves to the teachings. We open up the word for ourselves. We meditate on it. We chew it. We ask Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us because the beautiful reality is we each have been given the Holy Spirit who says we don't need anyone to teach us. 
I mean, it's great that you're here and you're able to receive words put on my heart and as I'm giving some instruction, but thankfully that wherever you are, as you open his word, as you're receptive to the moving of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to speak to you in that season. Guaranteed he's going to speak to you. He's going to speak. And so as we devote ourselves to give faithful instruction, something wonderful happens. People receive reliable hope. Reliable hope, a guarantee of hope is a wonderful thing. That's why we're called hope for today. We're speaking and devoting ourselves to reliable truth of who Jesus Christ truly is so that people will have hope for this life and the life to come because Jesus is coming back. A lot of times we don't talk about that. A lot of times we don't talk about the day of the Lord and what that means. And what that means. And that's why we looked at that last week. That the day of the Lord is a signal in, not only in the sky, but the time of the Lord's deliverance for all who were afflicted. This isn't, a, in, a, in many ways, a rosy experience for those who are not in Christ. And it's most certainly not make-believe. The other day, um, I was out and about, I, I think it was at the fair, um, forgive me, I, I can't remember exactly if it was during the fair, the, at the end of the fair, but it was around that time, and I was having a conversation, and um, you know, you put yourself out there when you're starting a new work like this, and I, I welcome conversation. I don't pretend to have all the answers because I don't, and out of one of these conversations, it was said to me that, you know, what you believe, Andrew, it's all make-believe. Don't you realize, don't you have a logical mind a reasonable mind to understand that it's, it's not true. It's just myth. Where is this Jesus that you've been waiting for? And I can thankfully say, I'm like, oh, there's a scripture about that. It says that people will come and they'll begin to say, well, where's this prophesied coming that you're all waiting for? But what I was able to share in that conversation, the wonderful thing, this delay, God's not slow in keeping his promise, but his delay is for your benefit that all will come to know Christ and come to repentance and experience that relationship to the full. And so for a moment, I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, you're probably well aware of this chapter. It talks about the resurrection. We touched on it a little bit last week. And I just so deeply uh, appreciate the words um, that Paul gives in describing as part of these teachings the importance of understanding the resurrection. That not only, as we looked at last week, that those who are asleep in Christ, those who have died, they don't have a benefit over us or us over them. We will all be gathered together with the Lord at the same time. It's an incredible image, isn't it? it emphasizing it's not a, uh, a, a lone ranger personal dimension faith. It's a corporate faith. And so he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 20, it says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward at his coming, those who belong to him. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything, it is put under him. It is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be the all in all. And continuing in verse 29 for a moment, otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did it do that to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Here's the key we want to park. Bad company corrupts good morals or good character, depending on your translation. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your same. I got to say, as I was reading, just, you know, going over some notes today, this one really hit me hard. And it's like, wow, discernment, again, is so important. This fervor, this devotion to being in line with the will of God is so essential in our life. Again, not being sub, uh, subjective or, or uh, led astray by the crowd or the company that we keep. We're meant to be counter-cultural. We're not supposed to derive our values, our character from the world. The world wants to. The world wants to say, you're not very tolerant. In fact, one of the idols right now, I think all of you would agree, is on the extreme side of inclusive affirmation. So much so that we want to include and affirm people of all walks of life to the detriment of God's word. He says that I'm a holy God. Before Abraham was, I am. And he calls us to say, come out from them and be set apart. So this is here, Paul's emphasizing that those who belong to Jesus, there's a definitive sign here. There's a definitive marker that we're different. We're meant to be different. We love differently but we're also bold in the truth in how we love. So I want to encourage you this afternoon in this devotion, in this fervor, and I'm speaking right, right to myself here right now, that because we're in Christ and we're sensitive to his Holy Spirit, we're not ignorant of God and his plans for his life, are we? Through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can be discerning of the company that we keep. As children of God, we're to be light and not partakers of darkness. So the next part we see here in Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the teachings and to fellowship. And to fellowship. You know, we love fellowship, right? We love hanging out, whether it's going to a sporting event or last week we had Thanksgiving and I loved it at the table, you know, the stuffing and everything and you're just having a grand old time. And the definition of fellowship is this, company, a community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience. So it's a company of shared interest, activity, and experience. So you see here, they devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread. It's important that we realize the company that we keep. 
What I found interesting, verses 44 to 45, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Right in verse 44. Um, starting verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. As any had need. And I thought, my goodness, this is totally different from today. I mean, there's a lot of generous people. I've been generous from time to time. Nowhere on this level. I still own a home. I haven't, you know, sold my house to give all the proceeds to all of you, right? That hasn't happened. And so I'm reading this. And I'm thinking, okay, what do we do with this? How do we live this in reality today? How do, is this a universal truth? of this commonwealth, if you will. And what I found interesting is biblical historians say this, that in that time, it wasn't unfamiliar for the early church to experience economic pressures and sanctions. Economic pressures, sanctions, and also social restrictions because of their faith. And I thought, well, this makes perfect sense. At the very beginning, at the day of Pentecost, people were receptive to what was happening. But slowly out over time, people are becoming resistant to the message. And that happens today, doesn't it? At times you can hear of brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe they own a business, and there's a, a famous case in the States, and forgive me, I can't remember what state it was in, but they make cakes. And they wouldn't make a cake for a same-sex union. And they, it went right to the Supreme Court. And they were being sanctioned. They were being restricted in how they were to conduct business. And so in this regard, it's very similar to the early church that people were aware of each other's pressures and so they were looking out for one another because faith is not just a personal dimension. We're to live it in community where the two become one. And so I found that very, very interesting in how we can live that out here today. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, which I find very interesting because John chapter 3 is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So if you go to 1 John chapter 3, 16, it says this. This is how we know that we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us, and so we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow brother in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? How does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. So it's not enough to just believe it and hear it. We need to see to it. We need to put it into action. We need to live it. And this is a work in progress. Isaiah, this is something that we're working on. All of us collectively, you know, personally and together as a church body. This is all part of what it means to be in Christ. And he ends this by saying, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And I think the reason why that's in there is you're, you're always going to experience people who have need. We all have our seasons and times. And I have to admit, one point when it was a, a level of immaturity on my part, I would have to say, is when I lived in the city, on a lot of the off-ramps, there would be people on the corners. 
you know, begging and asking uh, if you have any spare change. And I felt for a while immensely you know, guilted that I wasn't giving to every person that I saw on the court because I can't say that I was thinking specifically of this verse, but we're supposed to give, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. But I'm so thankful for the end of this statement that if our heart doesn't condemn us, we know that we have confidence before God. He knows our heart. He knows what we're about. He knows we want to serve him. He knows that we want to honor him. So may us, if I can say, let's not be living in a place where we're allowing the enemy to condemn us. To say, you know, you're not doing enough, Don. You're not doing enough, Tony. You need to give more. But rather, inquire the Holy Spirit. So this is something I'm trying to put into practice. When I see these needs, because they're plenty, ask the Lord. Inquire the Lord. And it's very important because here we see in the beginning of Acts, they devoted themselves to the teachings, to the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Prayer. Because prayer aligns us with what God wants to do. Prayer aligns us with what God wants to do. And so as the uh, worship team gets prepared to come and and, uh, lead us in worship, a few notes I have here that I want to share with you is we can see that the early church, their fellowship... And I'm deeply moved by it, encouraged by it. Their fellowship wasn't superficial. It wasn't superficial. They meant it. Their relationship, their fellowship was of substance. I have to admit, as I was preparing this word, I said, Lord Jesus, I want my life to be that of substance. If someone can say that Andrew is this kind of person, I would love it if they could say he's a person of fervor, of devotion, of substance, of character, moral character that wants to live like Christ in this world. And so today, I, it's my prayer and hope that we will be uh, motivated, not just personally, not just individually, but corporately as a church body. We can turn the tide in our community. We can turn the tide in people's lives when we're generous, but we're also also faithful to the teachings. To love doesn't mean we just throw a big blanket over and approve everything, but rather we're aware of people's needs, we're being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would say about that person, how to converse with them, how to speak the truth in love. But most certainly, as the worship team gets prepared, is that people are watching. Here we can see, right at the beginning of Acts, it says that many people, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. People were aware of what was going on. They took notice of the business of the followers of Christ. Things had changed. I'm sure you're aware in your own life of a person who has been transformed by their relationship and walk with Christ. You could say, my goodness, they've changed. Maybe they're more generous than they once were. Maybe they're more fervent in the word. Only you would know those details, but I, I have to admit it's so wonderful to hear when you hear friends say, you know, Andrew, you're different from, from the person I remember from high school. And it's wonderful hearing those things. We need to encourage each other. It's, it's, I know sometimes we want to play the humble card, and don't misunderstand me. Sometimes we want to say, like, oh, oh, you know. But it's like okay to give thanks. It's okay to acknowledge 
when someone gives you a comment. The other day, my mother-in-law sent me a message. I'm not going to give the details of the message, but it was encouraging. Talking about just the, the, the impact of, of this church and what's going on here. Your life matters. The stories that you tell, the devoted instruction that you give, the fervor that you have for Jesus, people take notice. Because at the end of the day, people truly want what's different. If you're just going to come along with what they already have, well, what's the point? Jesus called them and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you want to experience all that the kingdom of God has for you, we need to turn to him in all things. Sometimes we won't like it. Sometimes we'll be like, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can go along with that. But if we open ourselves, like we said a few weeks ago, if we have arms wide open to Jesus and the moving of his Holy Spirit, watch out in a good way. Watch out and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we devote ourselves to the teaching, as we devote ourselves to the fellowship and meeting together, he's going to overflow in our midst. He's going to pour out his spirit, his grace, his favor is going to work wonders in our life. It's going to tear down strongholds because that's the promise of scripture that says that we can demolish strongholds. Everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And so we want to give God the glory here uh, this afternoon. And I give you words of, of uh, encouragement from Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Get ready for this. Be ready to receive. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. I know each one of us knows people that need a breakthrough. Each one of us know people that are dealing with sickness right now. They have grim reports. Maybe the doctors have told them there's nothing more they can do, but we know that Jesus is our mighty physician and he wants to move in their life. Of course, we have the beautiful hope of the resurrection and everything sad is going to be undone when we're in his presence. But right now, the power of his spirit can move in those people's lives because he's empowering you. He's empowering you and I to go into the world and to bring the good news. Verse 19, so the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. God's going to work signs in and through your life when you devote yourself to his teachings when you devote yourself to not living in isolation but meeting with others because guess what? Signs and wonders cannot occur if you're by yourself. Surely he can work in your life and in your solitude but we're meant to be in community. We're meant to go out and bring the gospel with us. So be encouraged this afternoon that you are hope bearers. You're light carriers of what Jesus is doing in your life and what he wants to do in the lives of of others. Amen. So we're going to come to a time of worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this moment. Lord, thank you for your word. 
that inspires us, encourages us, challenges us, motivates us, binds us all together in common faith and of common purpose to share your good news, to also declare your marvelous acts, your favor, your mercy in each of our lives. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that even when we falter, even when we fail, even when we're faithless, that you are still faithful for you cannot disown yourself. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your devotion to us. And Lord, I may, I ask that you'd pour out your spirit and enable us to respond in devotion ourselves, to be your hands and feet in this world the places that we call home, the spheres of influence, the places of work, the conversations that we have. May it be like a mighty tidal wave. Pastor Isaiah prophesied that he sees a wave, a tidal wave moving over this place and in this assembly and in this community. Lord, we receive and believe that you want to pour out your spirit that would be like a mighty wave in this community, Lord God. Have your way in our midst. Have your way in, your life, in our life, God. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.